The following presentation is brought to you by the Realm Network. Buzz Burbank, news and comment. Today, everything changes again. This is Thursday, May 18th, 2017. Thank you very much for listening and for supporting this show by using and bookmarking the Amazon links at buzzburbank.com. No sooner does this newscast get written that something new happens as a seemingly familiar string of events unfolds at a record pace. No sooner does this report get released that something more happens. I'll continue to post updates on Facebook and Twitter, but here's what you need to know in the meantime. New information this morning indicates former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn and other Trump campaign people had at least 18 contacts with Russian officials just in the last seven months of the 2016 campaign. A dozen of these contacts are news to nearly everyone, including phone calls and emails. Reuters reports today that these previously unknown contacts are now being reviewed by both the FBI and congressional investigators. I'll have more on that next week. But this is a new day in which the Trump administration no longer has any control over the investigations into it. Under mounting pressure from Democrats and Republicans, new Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein has stopped overseeing the Trump-Russia investigation, turning that task over to a much more independent special counsel. A growing number of lawmakers were asking for exactly that after the most explosive week yet in the Trump presidency, one of the most explosive in American history. The new special counsel is Robert Mueller. Liked by Republicans and Democrats, Mueller was our FBI director for 12 years, longer than anyone besides J. Edgar Hoover. Mueller became FBI director just before 9-11 and was so well-liked by Congress he was kept on for an additional two years beyond his original 10-year term. Mueller served until about four years ago and was then replaced by the now well-known James Comey. As special prosecutor, Mueller now has all the powers of a U.S. attorney and he can use existing Justice Department prosecutors as well as adding new ones, which he's already done. Mueller has a reputation for being thorough and for speaking truth to power. Democrats and Republicans are sighing in relief at this latest shocking and surprising development. Trump says the investigation will prove there was no collusion between his campaign and Russia, but the investigation also involves possible financial crimes now, also perhaps obstruction of justice. This also means, however, that the entire Justice Department and FBI investigations might move more slowly for a time as Mueller gets up to speed on its progress so far, but being familiar with Washington, it shouldn't take him long. And there is the risk, however, slight risk, that Trump could fire this special prosecutor just as Nixon fired his. But Trump would do that at great risk to himself and to the country. In the Watergate probe, 48 Nixon associates went to jail and Nixon was forced to resign. Meanwhile, other investigations continue, as you will soon hear. The stock market took a tumble yesterday as the wheels appeared to come off an administration big business was hoping would remove or loosen government regulations. Less optimistic than they were after Trump took office, investors pulled back and the Dow had its biggest loss this year, the biggest since September, dropping 2% by nearly 375 points. The Dow had lost another 5 points before today's opening. NASDAQ lost over 2.5%. The Trump stock market bubble may have passed.
at the FBI Academy in Quantico, Virginia, new agents are taught many things, including if you didn't write it down, it didn't happen. Those are words James B. Comey was already living. For more than a decade in Washington, Comey has been a taker of notes and a writer of memos. Those who know him say if Comey took a meeting with his superiors, he would immediately put it in writing, what was said in that meeting, especially if what was said was unusual or inappropriate. He printed some for safekeeping, and he made it a point to share his notes with others, usually by email. The practice served Comey well, especially when it came time to clear his name as an official of the Bush administration after it was learned that that administration had been torturing terror suspects. Comey had proof that he'd objected to the torture, which he called simply awful in that memo. Comey had left, as usual, a paper trail, which in that case proved his hands were clean. More famously now, Comey wrote one such memo on Valentine's Day this year about the meeting he'd just had with the president in the Oval Office. Trump had been warned by the Justice Department nearly three weeks earlier that Flynn, Michael Flynn, had made himself a blackmail target by telling nearly everyone in the U.S. what Russia knew was a lie. In fact, the New York Times now reports that the Trump White House knew Flynn was under FBI investigation weeks before hiring him anyway. The Times says the White House was informed on January 4th, more than two weeks before Trump took office, and brought Flynn with him, despite these repeated advance warnings. And despite these two clear warnings, Trump kept Flynn on and kept him in the intelligence briefings, kept him in the loop on the nation's top secrets. Flynn had denied he'd talked with the Russian ambassador about easing sanctions the U.S. had placed on Russia for its aggression in Ukraine and for the Russian intervention in the election campaigns. But then the Washington Post found out about that Justice Department warning of nearly three weeks earlier and published what it knew. Finally caught in his lie, Flynn resigned on Monday, February 13th. The next day, Trump called FBI Director Comey into the Oval Office to talk about the criminal investigation. According to Comey's memo, which has been confirmed by multiple FBI sources, the president sent Vice President Pence and the White House Chief of Staff, Reince Priebus, out of the room and then said to Comey, I hope you can see you wear clear to letting this go, letting Flynn go. He's a good guy. I hope you can let this go. Comey didn't engage in that conversation, answering simply, I agree he's a good guy. The White House says Trump was just reminding Comey that Flynn is a decent man, but laymen to lawmakers are saying it sounds like an attempt to use the bully pulpit of the presidency in that Oval Office setting to soften or end the FBI's Flynn investigation. To many, it sounds like a run at obstruction of justice, especially after having sent Pence and Priebus out of the room. After that Valentine's Day meeting, Comey returned to his office and wrote about what had happened in a memo which he then shared with other top-ranking FBI officials. Comey didn't send that memo to agents investigating Flynn, presumably because he didn't want them to back off just because of what appeared to be pressure from the Oval Office. The investigation didn't stop, and in fact, a grand jury has issued subpoenas to Flynn's associates, as I reported last week. Flynn is being investigated for the millions of dollars he's been paid by Turkey and Russia to represent them well in the U.S. And he and former Trump campaign manager Paul Manafort are now listed as suspects in the federal investigation into the campaign's alleged collusion with Russia. 
FBI copy machines may be working overtime today. Top members of the Senate Judiciary Committee have asked the FBI for a copy of Comey's memo and copies of others Comey may have left behind, and they've asked White House officials to turn over any tapes that may exist from that meeting since Trump has hinted of a secret recording system in the White House. The Senate Intelligence Committee has now asked private citizen Comey to testify, and it too has asked the FBI for Comey's pertinent memos on that meeting and other meetings with Trump. FBI sources say there were other meetings and that there are other memos. The House Oversight Committee is run by the suddenly retiring early staunch Republican Jason Chaffetz. He, too, has asked for copies of Comey's memos. The Republican chairs of each of these House and Senate committees have the power to issue subpoenas. Comey's also heard from several committees that had already wanted him to ask more about the Trump-Russia investigation. Comey has expressed a willingness to testify, but only in open session where everyone can hear what he has to say. He's expected to testify next week. All of what you just heard went down while we were still reeling from the revelation this week of what occurred in another Oval Office meeting with Russian officials last week. During the transition, the Obama administration was so concerned about the sloppy way the Trump team had handled sensitive documents, it set new limits on classified information. Obama's people ordered Trump's people to stop carrying documents without permission and to stop viewing those documents in the less secure transition offices. Back in February, the Wall Street Journal reported that U.S. intelligence officials had stopped sharing with the new president some sensitive information out of concern that information would be leaked or somehow compromised. Since Trump's people had already been under investigation for months over their contacts with Russian officials, and Russian spies. This week, we learned that U.S. intelligence was right to keep stuff from Trump for multiple reasons. Because this week, we learned that Trump had shared with Russian officials intelligence so sensitive, it hasn't even been shared with our allies, much less our adversaries. And releasing it raised the question among our allies, who's more important to the U.S., the allies or Russia? We rely on allies in Europe, the Middle East, and Africa to provide information that has in the past prevented terrorist attacks. The Washington Post says it was code word information, meaning even officials inside our own government, even U.S. officials with top secret clearance, couldn't access this data without the right code. It was information given to the U.S. by one of our top allies on the condition it not be shared. By sharing that intel with Russia, Trump betrayed our ally, made other allies nervous about sharing intel with us, and gave the Russians clues about how to get to the source of that intel. Because Russia is so very good at intelligence work, it would have no trouble tracing that intelligence and its origin. But we all now know the ally who provided the intel was one of our very closest, Israel. And Russia could now share that data with its allies, including Israel's fierce enemy, Iran. It was information about the new threat to air travel, laptop computer batteries that would pass screening, even though those batteries are also bombs. And in sharing that intel with Russia's foreign minister and Russia's ambassador to the U.S. in the Oval Office last week, Trump also revealed the city in which those terrorist plans are being made. The ambassador in the room, by the way, Sergei Kislyak, had also met secretly during the campaign with Trump advisors Jared Kushner, Jeff Sessions, and Mike Flynn, 
each of whom had then later concealed their meetings with Kislyak. But revealing that city to Russia's foreign minister and Kislyak helped Russia figure out which Israeli spies had learned of the new laptop plot, possibly putting lives in danger. Trump had gone off script in that Oval Office meeting and reverted to his braggadocious ways, telling the Russians, I get great intel. I have people brief me on great intel every day. It appears he was showing off when Trump spontaneously shared highly classified information with our greatest enemy. No decision had been made by U.S. intelligence officials to share this information with Russia or anyone else. Other presidents have also shared intel with Putin and other foreign leaders, but they did so in carefully planned, carefully screened, carefully scripted briefings, and they did it for strategic reasons. This revelation to the Russians was off the cuff from a bombastic flow of consciousness president with no government or military experience. And it has made our allies nervous, allies so important to the fight against ISIS and other threats. In Germany, one lawmaker says his country should consider no longer sharing intelligence with the U.S., since it appears Trump will spill the beans about it through carelessness and or arrogance. Here at home, high-ranking lawmakers, Republicans and Democrats alike, have expressed grave concern about Trump's loose lips, the very thing Trump said had disqualified Hillary Clinton to be president. On September 6th last year, Trump said, quote, We can't have someone in the Oval Office who doesn't understand the meaning of the word confidential or classified. As usual, the White House at first denied Trump had shared highly classified data, but as usual, Trump would later undermine his own staff by saying he did it on purpose because he has the legal authority to do so, which he does, and because he hoped it would motivate the Russians to cooperate more in the fight against ISIS. The Russians say the material wasn't classified, but they wouldn't know. Still, Russia has offered up what it claims are transcripts of that meeting. Were the Russians recording in the Oval Office as well? Both the left and the right worry that the president we have is a clear and present danger to the United States and to the entire free world. And the clock is ticking. When Jim Comey's firing was first announced, the White House answered the why question with a memo from Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein that said Comey had mishandled the Clinton investigation. As a candidate just before Election Day, Trump praised Comey for his handling of the Clinton investigation. Rosenstein's memo, however, made no mention of Comey's Russia investigation. That memo, says the White House, was the reason Trump fired Comey. White House spokesman Sarah Huckabee Sanders later backed up Rosenstein's memo with a similar explanation. Now, in between those two administration statements, Trump himself gave the reason as he wasn't doing a good job. And that prompted questions about whether Rosenstein had written the memo of his own accord or had he been asked to write the memo. Several White House officials say Trump directed Rosenstein and Jeff Sessions to give him a reason to fire Comey, including Sessions, even though Sessions is supposedly recused from all investigations having to do with the campaigns of Trump and Clinton. That recusal has apparently ended since Sessions is part of the interview process for the replacement FBI director. Rosenstein hadn't commented on that, but was scheduled to meet with senators about the firing behind closed doors today. Trump, of all people, at one point called Comey a showboat 
as he struggled to explain this suspicious firing. But Trump's reportedly also been angry at Comey for poo-pooing Trump's unsubstantiated claim that Obama had wiretapped Trump Tower. Trump was reportedly mad at Comey for not doing more to investigate leaks from intelligence agencies about Russian interference and for focusing so much instead on the Russia investigation itself. Later, Trump would say he'd been considering firing Comey since Inauguration Day. We now know that the White House had summoned Comey to have dinner with Trump, and Comey had apparently again taken notes. FBI insiders say Comey was asked by Trump three times at that dinner to pledge his loyalty. Comey reportedly refused, offering only to promise his honesty. Trump was reportedly very frustrated that Comey had said the idea that he'd influenced the election makes him mildly nauseous. As Comey went from weekly Russia briefings to daily, as he asked for more money for that investigation, Trump then fired James Comey. And then remarkably admitted in a high-profile TV interview that the Russia thing was on his mind when he decided to fire Mr. Comey. So first it was the firing, then the wobbly explanations. After a week of comparisons to the Watergate scandal that brought down President Nixon in the 1970s, the White House was saying it just wants the investigation to end and says it will conclude faster without James Comey. If Trump did fire Comey because of the Russia probe or try to end the Russia probe, that appears to be obstruction of justice, the first article of impeachment against Richard Nixon. Trump may have further obstructed justice by asking Comey over for dinner, asking for that loyalty oath, and asking whether he personally, Trump, was under investigation. The White House denies there was any talk of a loyalty oath, but Trump has publicly described himself as, quote, like this great loyalty freak. Apparently forgetting Hitler had done the same, Trump asked supporters at his Florida rallies last year to give loyalty pledges that they would vote for him. Last Friday morning, Trump again revived memories of Watergate and up the ante when he threatened Comey on Twitter and then refused to explain the threat. Quoting from the tweet, Comey had better hope there are no tapes of our conversations before he starts leaking to the press. Wait, what? Is there a secret White House recording system a la Watergate? Trump and his staff refused to say anything more about that after that comment. In Watergate, that's known as a non-denial denial. Trump didn't say yes, he didn't say no, he just said he wouldn't say. Whether there is or isn't a secret recording or several, Trump is playing a dangerous game when it isn't a game at all. Even if no tape exists, he appears to be intimidating a witness, which is, again, obstruction of justice, an impeachable offense. And if there is a tape and Trump refuses to hand it over, that is also obstruction and almost precisely what Nixon did as his presidency entered its final days. But only with the cooperation of a Congress that's been preoccupied with getting its way on other issues that lead the Republican agenda. But the ground beneath Capitol Hill is beginning to shift with more Republicans invoking memories of Watergate. Associates say James Comey isn't worried about any tapes. And Watergate alum John Dean says Trump is confused, quoting Dean, he is the one who must hope there are no tapes. Honest people don't have problems being taped. But the White House remained quiet. There were reports White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer had been hiding from reporters in some bushes. Trump himself, who'd threatened canceling White House press briefings, 
spent Mother's Day away from his family on a golf course for the 21st time since taking office. He has seen his 10-year-old son five times since the inauguration. But we digress. If there are tapes, there are Democrats and Republicans on Capitol Hill who want to hear them. If there are any tapes of this conversation, said Republican Lindsey Graham, they need to be turned over. You can't be cute about tapes, he said. Now, somewhat surprisingly, another top Republican in the House has asked for an inspector general's investigation into the circumstances of Comey's firing. Jason Chaffetz, the retiring California congressman who doggedly investigated Hillary Clinton, has asked for this more independent investigation. The Republican chairman of the Senate Oversight Committee said, I am troubled by the timing and reasoning of Director Comey's termination. Chaffetz is also, no doubt, glad to get this off his plate. The candidate who seems least likely to land a gig as the new FBI director is acting director Andrew McCabe, who went before Congress last week and contradicted nearly everything Trump and the White House have said about Comey's firing. Among the other reasons given for Comey's dismissal were that he wasn't liked or respected by the FBI's employees and that Comey was focused on Russia when there were bigger things to investigate. Andrew McCabe, at the risk of his career at the top of the bureau, denied both of those claims. McCabe said Comey enjoyed broad support inside the FBI and still does. Quoting McCabe, directly contradicting the White House, the vast majority of FBI employees enjoyed a deep positive connection to Director Comey. As for Comey's focus on Russia, McCabe said, we consider it to be a highly significant investigation. McCabe also told Congress nothing could keep the Bureau from, quote, doing the right thing. Quoting McCabe, who probably won't get the gig, you cannot stop the men and women of the FBI. McCabe is in the running with at least eight other candidates. Trump said the decision would be made this week, but that could change with everything happening. As candidates were still being interviewed, the Justice Department announced that new special prosecutor and did so without notifying the White House first. Other investigations continue. The Treasury Department's Financial Crimes Division, the unit charged with fighting money laundering, says it will share with Senate investigators what it's finding as it investigates possible financial ties between Trump and Russia. In more ominous words, the Financial Crimes Unit says the Trump-Russia investigation wouldn't be able to reach a conclusion without those records. With those documents, Senate investigators apparently would be able to reach a conclusion. The Senate Intelligence Committee had asked for those records after finding information that led them to inquire about investments and loans to Trump from Russian sources. To sum up, there are now investigations of Trump-Russia from the House Intelligence Committee, the Senate Intelligence Committee, the House Oversight Committee, the FBI's Counterintelligence Division, the Inspector General at the State Department, and the Treasury Department's Financial Crimes Unit. There may be other investigations underway at the FBI and the Justice Department about which we have not yet heard. U.S. attorneys may be investigating since the Virginia office has issued subpoenas in the Flynn case, and there are reports the U.S. attorney's office in Manhattan is investigating whether Russian money was laundered through Trump businesses and real estate. Of course, Trump fired nearly four dozen U.S. attorneys shortly after taking office, including Preet Bharara, who was running that New York office investigating Trump's businesses up until Barrara's firing. Other investigators fired by Trump include acting Attorney General Sally Yates and, of course, the head of the FBI. 
And reporters at the Washington Post have reported, after hearing a recording, that last year, then-House Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy said to colleagues, there's two people I think Putin pays. One, says McCarthy, was a Republican congressman, Rohrbacher. The other was Donald Trump. McCarthy's Republican colleagues laughed at his brazen remark, but Paul Ryan interrupted them, saying, no leaks. This is how we know we're a real family here. Today, McCarthy says his remark was just a failed attempt at humor. Paul Ryan agrees, but can't possibly be laughing. What all of this means, and a comment from Bob Seska in a moment. Plus, anger over Trump care still simmers. The Dakota Access Pipeline springs another leak. And how we'll spend our tax refunds after this. I cannot count the number of mornings I woke up on a pillow that was so sweaty I had to throw it in the dryer before making the bed. Or I'd spend restless nights flipping and reshaping to get cool and dry. Well, now I wake up as cool as the other side of the pillow because now I sleep on a hello pillow. That's H-U-L-L-O. The hello pillow stays cool while giving my head, neck, and shoulders perfect support all night long, night after night. A lot of us have spent good money on good mattresses but still haven't figured out the right pillow. Traditional fiber fills are hot and humid. They collapse under your weight, and they don't give you the full night's support you need for good posture and good sleep, and you have to keep replacing them. A memory foam pillow gives support but can't be molded into the shape that's right for you. It doesn't breathe, so it gets hot, and it gives off chemical gases you probably shouldn't spend a third of your life inhaling. Although a microbead pillow does breathe, it too gives off gases, and once those beads collapse, which they will, they're actually harmful to the environment. And as eco-friendly as a bamboo pillow sounds, it isn't after all that processing, and it isn't antimicrobial, as its makers have often claimed. Hello pillows are filled with natural buckwheat hulls that are eco-friendly, don't give off gases, and never collapse. The buckwheat is grown and milled by American farmers before the hulls go into Hullo's pre-shrunken certified organic unbleached cotton twill casing right here in the U.S. Hullo pillows breathe and stay cool and most importantly conform perfectly to your head, neck, and shoulders for a truly restful night's sleep. And you can adjust the fullness of the Hullo pillow by removing or adding more hulls through the zipper that's covered for comfort. I'm so happy with mine, I'm proud to give it my personal endorsement and proud that a percentage of the profits are donated to the Nature Conservancy. Hello pillows are available in three sizes, small, standard, and king. And right now, depending on the size, you can save up to 20 bucks on each additional pillow with fast, free shipping. But you can only get that deal by going to hellopillow.com buzz. That's hellopillow.com buzz. Say hello to a healthy and restful night's sleep and wake up as cool as the other side of the pillow. That's H-U-L-L-O. Thank you for supporting this brilliant company and this free newscast at hellopillow.com slash buzz. Remember how I opened this program today? Well, this just in as this report is being recorded. Roger Ailes, the mastermind behind Fox News Channel, has died at the age of 77 he had resigned from Fox last year after sexual harassment allegations. Rarely in modern history have such chilling words been spoken about the United States of America. Our government and its institutions are under assault from Russia and from within our own country through the President of the United States. 
that conclusion comes from the guy who, until recently, had been our national intelligence director, James Clapper. Clapper delivered that ominous warning Sunday morning that the nation's institutions are under attack by Russia and Trump. While many Americans were distracted by Mother's Day and not watching Jake Tapper on CNN or news in general, this was a bombshell considering what was said and who said it. Clapper told Tapper, I think in many ways our institutions are under assault, both externally, and that's the big news here, is the Russian interference in our election system, and I think as well our institutions are under assault internally, end quote. Tapper asked if that meant assaulted internally by Trump. Exactly, said Clapper. Clapper said he fears the erosion of the founding fathers' checks and balances, the balance of power between three co-equal branches of government. I feel as though that is under assault, said the man in charge of national security until four months ago. And rarely in modern history had such chilling words been spoken about the United States of America. With the addition of that special prosecutor, some checks and balances have now returned. Support for Trump, meanwhile, is down to 36% now and slowly ticking downward. He's starting to lose some of his cherished political base, judging from a Quinnipiac poll taken just after Trump fired FBI Director James Comey and while the administration scrambled to clarify that decision. University researchers say the majority of Americans don't approve of that firing, and a bigger majority are now less confident in the FBI's Trump-Russia investigation. At first, the Trump administration said Comey was fired for the way he handled the Clinton investigation. This from a campaign whose theme was often, lock her up. Fewer than one in four of us believe that explanation, according to an NBC News Wall Street Journal poll. Nearly half of us think Trump fired Comey over the Russia investigation that was being accelerated by Comey. Later, in another of the past week's jaw-dropping moments, Trump would admit to Lester Holt that the Russia scandal, which he says is phony, was on his mind when he made the decision to fire Comey. Overall, Trump's approval rating is about as low as any presidents have ever gone. Only 36% approve of his work as president, according to research at Quinnipiac. Disapproval's up to 56%, partly because of Trump care and partly because of the firing of James Comey. But Trump's losing support from the base on which he relies to support his agenda, mainly because he hasn't delivered his campaign promises to them or even come close. White Americans with no college degree, who made up the biggest part of Trump's base, are backing away. On Election Day, Trump enjoyed the support of over two-thirds of whites who hadn't graduated college. Last month, it was 57%. Now it's 46. That's down 21 points since the election. Over half of that just in the past month, just among that one core group. Overall, two-thirds of all registered voters surveyed say Trump isn't level-headed. 61% say he's dishonest. 59% say he doesn't care about the average person. There is something, however, on which nearly 80% of Americans do agree. That an independent investigation is the best way to get to the bottom of Trump-Russia. In the wake of the Comey firing, 78% of voters told NBC they want a special prosecutor or independent commission to oversee the FBI's work uninfluenced by politics. They have finally gotten their wish. At that point of the polling, only 15% of the people trusted the understaffed congressional investigations to get to the whole truth. It isn't often that 80% of Americans agree on anything, but they agree on this. Through it all, 
Trump seems obsessed with the asterisk on his election win. Having lost the popular vote by three million, Trump seldom fails to mention his tremendous victory, referring to the Electoral College win that put him in office. But Trump seems haunted by those three million votes that gave the popular vote to Hillary Clinton. Because last week, with the Russia thing swirling around him, Trump ordered up a commission to look into voting irregularities in the election he won. In a few months, the commission will hand Trump its findings. Previous, less formal studies have found absolutely no evidence of voting irregularities beyond the usual few individual cases. But that's not good enough for a president on a mission. Trump has said more than once he believes three million is roughly the number of undocumented people who voted for Hillary. As a desperate underdog in the campaign, Trump repeatedly called the election rigged. After all this time and his election as president, he cannot let go of what appears to be an obsession. In a speech to the Coast Guard graduates yesterday, Trump said, no politician in history has ever been treated worse or more unfairly. But he told the grads and others he has no intention of giving up. In fact, he seems to be bracing for a fight. People in the crowd wearing Make America Great Again hats applauded. And now with a comment on all of this, here's Bob Seska. Thank you, Buzz. The former White House counsel to Richard Nixon, John Dean, famously told the Select Committee on Watergate that there was, quote, a cancer on the presidency. The words perfectly illustrated what was going on between 1972 and 1974. Today, more than 40 years later, there's another cancer on the presidency, yes, but it's advancing and metastasizing far more rapidly than it ever has before. The cancer metaphor is just about perfect when it comes to Trump, especially in terms of the seemingly unbreakable link between the White House and the congressional GOP. The Republicans don't appear to notice that new tumors are popping up every week and without treatment, without the GOP taking positive steps to extract the source of the cancer, the Republican Party could be in serious jeopardy. This week, the latest Trump malignancy has somehow managed to top the previous one. The New York Times reported on Tuesday that former FBI Director James Comey was asked by Trump to kill the Bureau's probe into former National Security Advisor Mike Flynn. The source of the story comes from a memo written by Comey following the late February meeting, which took place the day after Flynn was fired. Furthermore, we learned that Trump told Comey that the then-FBI director should start arresting journalists who received leaked classified information. Once again, Trump's attempt to wiggle out of a crime creates yet another crime. This time, it's obstruction of justice. Again, not only did Trump try to kill the Flynn probe, but he also admitted to trying to kill the related probe into Trump and Russia. At this point, the entire Trump presidency is merely a succession of crime upon crimes. The more he squirms to escape the deepening quicksand of the Trump-Russia story, the more he sinks into it. The same can be said for the Republicans, who refuse to demand this cancer to be summarily excised. The deeper Trump descends into the inescapable gravity of his own political toxicity, the worse it'll get for Republicans, too, each of whom is on record defending Trump, either by official statements or by deafening silence in the face of this expanding madness. Early on, I get it. Reagan's 11th commandment, thou shalt not speak poorly of another Republican. But this is beyond anything Reagan could have ever imagined. Just ask some of his former advisors who've all come out to condemn Trump. At some point, a point that seems to be closer to the past than the future, the Republicans need to cut bait or die with Trump. Better to walk away now than to wait another week, month, or a year in which we can't even predict what Trump will do to up the ante of incompetence and treachery. 
In other words, they can either have the cancer cut out of the body politic now while it might still be curable, or they can wait until it's inoperable. Then, when the impact of Trump's blunders reaches a death spiral, no voter ID laws or purges or gerrymandering, maybe not even the Russians, will save the GOP in 2018 and 2020. Of course, they won't listen. And with every passing gaffe, scandal, egregious breach of national security and high crime, the Republicans will be indelibly characterized as politically complicit, if not guilty by association. Oh, and by the way, since the White House is denying the Comey memo story, we can probably expect Trump to confirm the reporting any second now. I'm Bob Seska for Buzz Burbank News and Comment. Thanks, Bob. Catch him every Tuesday and Thursday on The Bob Seska Show here at RealmNetwork.com. And I'm proud to now be one of the regular guests on that program. How angry are some people about Trump and Republican plans to repeal and replace Obamacare? It may be even angrier than what you've heard shouted at lawmakers' town hall meetings. A 35-year-old woman in Tennessee was so angry she got into her car, followed her Republican congressman's car, and got the driver of that car to pull over. When Wendy Wright finally got that car to pull over, she got out of her car and approached his, screaming, banging on the windows, and at one point reaching into the car. Fearing someone would be hit by passing traffic, the entourage of Congressman David Kustoff reconvened in a neighborhood driveway where Wendy reportedly used her car to block in the congressman's. Police caught up with Wendy after she'd posted about all this on Facebook. She's now out on a $1,000 bond and facing a felony charge of reckless endangerment. Wendy's congressman is one of 217 Republicans who voted for repeal and replace in the House last month. Two weeks ago, a Republican senator who favors his repeal threatened to have arrested a woman who'd asked for a town hall meeting with him. That was Wisconsin's Ron Johnson. The Senate is now working on a repeal and replace bill of its own through a committee of 13 men and zero women. Trump and the Republicans are playing with fire. A new Gallup poll shows Americans more concerned now about health care than they've been since the rollout of Obamacare three and a half years ago. To nearly one in five of us, health care is issue number one for the nation. Twice as many of us rank health care as the top priority than those who give that ranking to immigration, jobs, the economy in general, and race relations. The way Medicaid works, or the way it's supposed to work, is that people enrolled in it can get health care from any health care provider who's willing to treat them. But that changed for women in Texas four years ago when the state cut off the money it had been giving to Planned Parenthood, nearly $30 million a year. The federal government, when Obama was president, wouldn't stand for this and cut off the money the feds had been giving to Texas for women's health. But now that Trump's president, Texas has gone back to the federal government asking for that sweet Medicaid money. And Texas still doesn't want to give a dime to Planned Parenthood, which screams women for cancer and helps them with family planning and other health issues concerning women who don't qualify for actual Medicaid. If the Trump administration says yes to Texas, other red states will also come asking. But some red states have struck out on their own, Missouri and perhaps now Iowa, giving up that federal Medicaid money and connecting instead with women's health groups that don't include the option of abortion. So how will you spend your tax refund if you get one? It used to be, before the Great Recession of 2008, Americans were divided about 50-50. Half of us said we'd spend the money, which is good for the economy, even if it may not be for the individual. The other half just hoped to pay the bills and save a little if we could. Spenders and savers. 
Since the recession hit, that changed, and it remains changed, even in this recovery. Today, nearly two-thirds of us say we'll just pay the bills and put some away if there's any left. Only a third of us plan to spend the extra cash. The recession has made more people better savers. We also learned this week that per-household debt has reached the record level it was just before the recession hit. We are once again taking out loans and using credit cards at record levels. That's risky for the individual, but it's good for the economy, and it's a good sign for the economy. It means people are confident they can pay off these new debts, be they for college or for a home, and those debts are not quite as risky as they were in 2007. Analysts say Americans' credit is good. For the past several years, Republicans and Democrats have been on a shared mission to stop the overcrowding of public prisons, to stop using so many privately owned prisons, and to stop prosecuting minor drug crimes which penalized minorities far more harshly than whites. Officials in both parties agreed to ease up on enforcement and sentencing for laws passed in the 1980s during a national panic over crack cocaine. Minorities with crack were doing disproportionate sentences while white coke snorters went free or did easy time. As recently as last year, taxpayers were spending a fourth of the Justice Department's budget on holding millions of prisoners. President Obama pardoned a record number of people in his eight years, the vast majority low-level drug offenders. But none of this bipartisan goal fits the Trump agenda. Attorney General Jeff Sessions has directed federal prosecutors to charge drug suspects with the most serious provable crimes they can, a complete reversal of where Republicans and Democrats were headed together, and a return to the policies that disproportionately imprisoned people of color, overcrowded our prisons, and lined the pockets of the owners of private prisons. Forward into the past. Having already reshaped the Supreme Court, Trump has now started reshaping the rest of the federal court system. There are 129 openings to fill, and Trump started filling them by nominating 10 in a first wave on Monday. All the nominees have solid credentials and solid records of conservative rulings. One liberal justice group says the Trump administration plans to, quote, pack the federal courts with ultra-conservatives. After the confirmation of Neil Gorsuch, Democrats are expected to be even more skeptical of these new Trump nominations for other federal judgeships. The long-debated Dakota Access Pipeline for pumping crude oil from Canada down the middle of the U.S. was leaking again. We're told the leak was small, under 100 gallons by the time it was discovered, but the controversial pipeline had been leaking for over a month before that spill was discovered. And it's not the first leak in the Dakota Access Pipeline. And the Standing Rock Sioux tribe is worried that the one discovered last week won't be the last one and worried that bigger spills might not be found in time. The tribe is repeating its warning that drinking water is at risk for 17 million people. To quote one of their protest signs, water is sacred. Completion of the pipeline is underway under orders from Trump. The DEA isn't the only government agency committing injustices in the name of the war on drugs. I reported a few weeks back about the DEA seizing of cash and property from people accused of dealing drugs, even in cases where they're not convicted or even officially charged. The more recent news is about the Treasury Department and how it's seizing money from people who are not drug dealers using a law that's meant for drug dealers. Treasury has seized tens of millions of dollars from otherwise legitimate citizens and small business owners, all because those individuals 
skipped some paperwork. People and banks are required to tell the government any time a deposit is made of over $10,000. The logic is, if it's ten grand or more, it's probably drug money. But often it isn't. To skip the paperwork, otherwise law-abiding citizens are breaking up those deposits into amounts less than ten grand. But breaking them up is also illegal. And using that violation, the Treasury Department is exercising its legal right to confiscate the money. But Treasury is doing this without investigating to see whether the suspect was a drug dealer or a paperwork slacker. It seizes the money first, then interviews the suspect. And to make matters worse, it's the legitimate citizen or business owner that Treasury is most likely to prosecute, since that kind of case requires almost no effort to get a conviction. Treasury has seized nearly $200 million this way over the past few years, often without even reading the suspects their Miranda rights. Treasury also doesn't listen to what the suspect has to say. In nearly every case, Treasury agents didn't bother to try to verify or discredit the suspect's claims. Treasury promised two years ago it would stop pursuing cases of restructuring, if that appeared to be the only crime. But a new Inspector General's report shows that some agents either didn't get the new instructions or have chosen to ignore them. Kicking out the scouts, the cost of too much porn, a ransom on Johnny Depp's head, and more in the third and final segment, up next. It is so very important that you show your support for this newscast by doing as much of your shopping as you can through my Amazon links at buzzburbank.com. You'll land right on your very own Amazon page and get the same great prices as always. If you believe in what I'm doing here, what we are doing together, it's extremely important that you go to buzzburbank.com, click on that link, and then bookmark that page to make it one of your favorites. Whether you're already a Prime member or you're shopping Amazon for the first time, going through my link, or even just once, helps sustain this program. Amazon has nearly everything you need right to your door and in two days or less for Prime members. I cannot say enough about how much I enjoy Amazon Prime Video, which comes with the Prime membership, along with music, books, and more. And please, use my Amazon link if you make purchases for your office, school, church, or some other organization. To those of you who already shop through my link, thank you. And if Amazon's not right for you, you can also support this program by clicking on the PayPal button just below the Amazon button in the upper right corner of buzzburbank.com. Chelsea Manning is a free woman. She was released early yesterday morning after serving seven years of a 35-year sentence. The rest of the sentence had been commuted by President Obama. Manning went into Leavenworth as an Army intelligence analyst who had leaked classified information, none of which proved to be harmful. She will now serve active duty as a soldier, without pay, but with hope. Quoting Chelsea, I can see a future for myself. A couple of weeks ago, a Catholic diocese in Kansas kicked out the Girl Scouts. Last week, the Mormons kicked out the Boy Scouts. The Archbishop in Kansas City said the Girl Scouts had become too reflective of feminist doctrine, favoring birth control and Planned Parenthood and all. The Church of Latter-day Saints, the Mormons, says it'll no longer put its teenage boys into scouting. That's a shocking development since the Mormons were practically founders of scouting, being a charter member for more than a century. About one in five Boy Scouts is a Mormon. But now that Boy Scouts of America allows gay men to serve as its troop leaders, the Mormons say they'll steer their 14- to 18-year-old boys into programs of its own. Catholic girls in the Kansas City Diocese will be steered into the separate scouting organization Girl Guides. A nation's culture may evolve, but religion 
evolves more slowly, if at all. Pulse of America. In 1976, 38% of Americans believe that the Bible is the actual word of God and is to be taken literally word for word. Today, it's 24%, fewer than one in four of us. More than one in four believe the Bible is a book of fables, legends, history, and moral precepts recorded by man. In the middle, you'll find the biggest group, people who believe that the Bible is inspired by the Judeo-Christian God, but not to be taken literally. Pulse of America. A new study confirms the logical. If you need help or information, tell someone face-to-face, not by email. How much better is face-to-face? More than a Canadian research professor expected, finding that face-to-face is 34 times more effective than an email request. If you have seasonal allergies and it seems the season is starting earlier or lasting longer, it's not just you. The top doctor at the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology says this is caused by the rapid changes underway to our planet's climate. Quoting him, longer seasons, early onset, and just more pollen in the air. The pollen released by certain kinds of trees has tripled from just a few years ago, and they now start in March instead of April. This is important to know since seasonal allergy sufferers are advised to start taking their medicine before the season starts. Experts say taking it once symptoms show up is almost too late, and the meds take longer to work and don't work as well. An update now on the great canned tuna caper reported here last week. Now, executives from all three of the big brands, Starkist, Bumblebee, and Chicken of the Sea, have been charged with conspiring to fix prices. Those three companies sell 80% of the tuna fish we eat and sell nearly $2 billion worth every year just in this country. But the Justice Department says those companies may also be in cahoots with other seafood dealers, including dealers from Thailand and South Korea. The lawsuit was brought by Walmart and other big retail chains. The tuna titans at Bumblebee will now pay a $25 million criminal fine that could go up to $82 million if they sell the company. This year's annual report from the medical testing lab chain known as Quest Diagnostics shows that more job applicants than ever before are testing positive for drugs. Just over 4% of applicants are failing those tests, mostly because of marijuana. Even though pot is legal in many states for medical use and legal in a few more for recreational use, it's still a red flag for employers who still ask Quest to check for it. Prescription drug and heroin use, meanwhile, have remained flat, while the use of cocaine is up 12% and meth is up 8 In sex news, a new study says if a man's having trouble performing, it may be he's looking too much at porn. The study indicates steady exposure to porn apparently desensitizes men to real-world stimulus, causing dysfunction in some. There's no cause-and-effect proof of this, but researchers have found a statistical relationship between what's defined as porn addiction and sexual dysfunction. They say it's not the only cause, but it's apparently a cause. Viewing porn activates the reward circuitry in the brain in ways similar to cocaine. The study also found that men are often disappointed that their own performance doesn't match what they see in porn. The study did not find this to be true among women, but it found that about 40% of women also look at porn. 
Several studies now support the belief that the so-called female Viagra, approved by the FDA two years ago, may be as helpful to younger women as it can be to some older women. The drug's meant to be prescribed for women who just aren't interested in sex but want to be. Often, these are women just before, during, and after menopause. But the study says the drug alone isn't likely enough that often counseling is needed as well. Women who take the drug report being more interested in sex, and they report enjoying it more. Porn took over one of those helpful video screens at Washington, D.C.'s Union Station this week. Some prankster had rigged one screen to play videos from the website Pornhub. And those videos played for several minutes in that busy railroad station before someone who doesn't even work there pulled the plug. The CEO of the train station's developing company has requested an investigation. The Disney Corporation says it will not pay ransom to the hackers who say they've stolen a copy of the unreleased summer blockbuster Pirates of the Caribbean Dead Men Tell No Tales. The latest Johnny Depp Pirates movie is set for release on the 26th of this month. The hackers have threatened to release parts of it, like fingers from a hostage, until the ransom is paid. If the ransom is not paid, as Disney says it won't be, the hackers say they'll release the entire movie ahead of its theatrical release. Earlier this year, hackers stole 10 episodes of Orange is the New Black. Netflix also refused to pay the ransom, and those stolen episodes were released before the 2017 series dropped. Passings and Passages Paramount executive Brad Gray has died from cancer at age 59. Gray co-produced The Sopranos, its Gary Shandling show, The Larry Sanders Show, and Real Time with Bill Maher. He was a champion of independent films, including An Inconvenient Truth and Benjamin Button. And he launched the Mission Impossible movie franchise and Marvel's Iron Man series of movies. And grunge rock icon Chris Cornell, lead singer for Soundgarden and Audio Slave, has apparently taken his own life at the age of 52. On tour, Cornell died in Detroit just after a performance there. His amazing four-octave range made him a widely respected singer. Guardians of the Galaxy was again number one in theaters this week, second week in a row at the top, this time with a take of $63 million. Snatched was second at nearly $18 million. What's hot this week? For theaters and showtimes, previews, tickets, and so much more, and to support this free news, please use and bookmark the Fandango link you'll find at buzzburbank.com. Now, given your contact with the real world, you don't need to be reminded that some people can be complete jerks. But a couple of cases stand out this week. In Kentucky, state troopers are investigating the theft of Girl Scout cookies. They were apparently stolen by a 26-year-old woman who's in hiding after being charged by a grand jury for the felony theft of $15,000 worth of cookies. The Girl Scout troop affected will have to pay for those cookies themselves if they aren't returned. In North Carolina, it's happened again. A veteran who got a profane note on his car for parking in a space reserved for U.S. military veterans. What the angry note writer didn't know, didn't bother to know, was that the recipient of the note is a U.S. military veteran. But in this too often angry, judgmental world, facts just get in the way. Despite Rod Boyle's 20 years in the Navy, the note read, You are an effing moron. I hope karma visits you often. This is parking for our veterans. Indeed it is. In the next 24 hours, do something unnecessarily nice for someone. 
Florida has snake hunters and a snake hunting season, naturally. Florida has snakes that shouldn't be here, snakes from other parts of the world, from exotic pet owners who allowed their Burmese pythons to escape or set them loose when the snakes got too big to handle. There are now thousands of invasive pythons in the Everglades threatening the wildlife that is supposed to be there. Fish and Wildlife holds an annual contest in which Floridians are paid just over 8 bucks an hour to hunt the snakes. The officials pay 50 bucks for any python 4 feet or longer and 25 bucks a foot after that. The all-time record is held by a hunter who nabbed one just over 18 feet long. So Dusty Wildman Crumb isn't the record holder, but he made 375 bucks this week with the python he'd found that's nearly 17 feet long. Video of Crumb catching the snake was on local TV with him smiling, wearing his baseball cap and his long hair and beard, quoting Wildman, biggest snake I ever caught in my life. And finally, because I want you to be completely up to date, a New York man has broken the world record for extinguishing the most matches with his tongue. 37 in one minute, one at a time, no blowing. Ashrita Furman holds a lot of records. Last year, the 61-year-old set a record by snuffing 44 blowtorches with his tongue. This year, it was hot licks on matchsticks. I'm Buzz Burbank. Thank you for listening, and thanks for supporting the shows and sponsors at buzzburbank.com. I'll be back next Thursday with another Buzz Burbank news and comment. The preceding presentation was brought to you by The Realm Network.